0: Morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, March <laughs> or February, or <laughs> well, good to see you. Today uh, we're going to continue in our thinking about transformation as it is impacted by what uh, we call this J-curve, this uh, this shape of the life of Jesus that you and I are called into as we're called into fellowship with him through faith. And we've talked a little bit about uh, three different J-curves. The one is... Th- The J-curve of suffering when, apart from anything we do, suffering finds us because it's that kind of a world we live in. And uh, that suffering then invites us into an experience of, of dying and then rising again in Jesus. And uh, so we thought about that a little bit a couple weeks ago, then last week we talked about this repentance J-curve, where I become aware through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to me, and the Word of God, and circumstances, whatever, but I become aware of places in my life where God wants to work and deal with some of the... The issues of sin, and, uh, and so as I become aware of that, I actively seek to put to death some of those things in my life that the Spirit is talking to me about. And that we saw in Colossians chapter 3, where, where Paul talks about our having died and been raised up with Christ, and the need to set our minds on things above, and then he immediately says, put to death therefore whatever pertains to your earthly members, and gives a list of things, uh, not an exhaustive list, but a representative kind of list of areas where God wants to work in our lives. And that leads us to uh, the third, which I want to talk about uh, today, and this is the Love J. curve. This is where... Out of love for God and love for other people, I am called to embrace the suffering of others. It's not just the suffering that meets me, it's the suffering of other people that I move into. And and that is especially the kind of curve, the life of Jesus himself, which we learn and embrace in the School of the Messiah. So that's what I want to think about today. And I want to think about it under this theme asking ourselves the question, what is your story? And by story, we're, we're talking about uh, the narrative. That's a word that's used a lot today. The narrative that we tell ourselves about what our life means, the narrative that that tells us what to expect, the narrative that tells us how to act in different situations. We all have some sort of a story we're operating with about who we are and how we ought to live. Uh, So I want to raise that question out of a very important passage here in Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. And actually, the literal phrase he uses there is that little phrase, in Christ, that we've talked about before, right? It's that idea of the sphere of influence or power that belongs to Jesus and that we enter into by faith. So, if you have any encouragement from being in the Messiah any comfort from his love, any common sharing of the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and and of one mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So, we'll look again at this uh, in, in the future. Uh, but, but what he's saying is that in Christ there is a characteristic way of living. And the point we want to make this morning is that that characteristic way of living in unity... One spirit, one mind, no selfish ambition, humility. That grows out of the story of Jesus that we've entered into by faith. So having said that then, he immediately swings into the story of Jesus. You might say the original J-curve. In your relationships with one another Becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. There's the upturn of the J-curve, right? And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what is your story? What's mine? We live in a world of competing stories. And uh, let's, let's think about uh, at least one of those major narratives that shapes all of us to some degree and then compare it with the, the narrative of Jesus so here is a, a competing story or a competing set of stories. It's the story about the winners. The winners who are the strong, the bold, the brave, the brilliant. I could have had another B in there. didn't think about that the smart, okay? The assertive. The talented. The beautiful. These are the people who succeed. That's that's what the story tells us. This is the group you want to be in. Because in that group you You've succeeded. You've got what other people want. Now that that game or that narrative, and if you are able to live by it, some people are able to live by it, and they succeed on those terms, uh, it has some liabilities that we don't always recognize, but but those liabilities are there. And, and that is that that kind of a life leads frequently to pride. After all, I've won, right? And other people haven't. So I I come to have a high view of who I am. It often leads to abuse. Those who are successful in this way get access to power of various sorts and that power becomes abusive of other people. So we have seen this again and again uh, in the news. Uh, I mean, it's an ongoing story, isn't it? It's, uh, It's the rich... And the influential and the powerful who get tagged with various kinds of abuse, sexual abuse, the Me Too movement has highlighted a lot of this stuff, Uh, the Harvey Weinsteins of the world. Uh, Recently we're seeing that uh, uh, Bill Gates, for all his uh, fairly squeaky clean reputation, uh, has got some issues in this whole area. and not surprising, because extraordinary wealth and lots of smarts gives an advantage uh, and, and comes, brings power with it and the danger of abuse. And then there's the issue of exclusion. That if you get in the winner's circle, you uh, have a tendency to want to keep other people out. We know, the, we know the story of the ugly duckling, right? Who wants to get into the circle but can't make it. And uh, this, this is part of the, the winner's story. Now, of course, that, that story also applies, implies another story, which is the story of losers. The losers are the weak the slow, the fearful, the unattractive, the sick, the poor, the disabled and, and you can go on and on with that. These are the people who fail according to this narrative and the result is for them uh, depression, Loneliness, because you're excluded, right? Envy of those who have what you don't have. Bitterness. Resentment. Resentment against the winners. And, of course, uh, this can happen in Christian circles, too. Then you get get resentment against God as well. So we're we're aware of this story. We're aware of it uh, very early on. I mean, this story is played out in in grade school over and over, in high school, college, right right on up. This is... And maybe you know, maybe you're like me. You uh, you've played both sides of this street. Uh, when I was in grade school and high school, I I, uh, I could never quite seem to make it into the winner's circle. <laughs> I wasn't quite uh, smart enough, or uh, or. <clears throat> handsome enough or talented enough athletically or whatever. You know, I couldn't quite make it into the top tiers. Uh, So sometimes I could feel excluded and all the rest. But but in this, because it's a spectrum, you know, in the spectrum I was usually able to see somebody else that I regarded as farther down on the scale than I was. And so, at the same time you practice, you, you experience exclusion from one circle, you can practice your own kind of exclusion in, in other circles. I remember a, a kid in, in high school, he was in my section. His name was Eric. Eric. And, and Eric was just one strange bird. What else can you say? He was, uh, he was just awkward socially, had very few social skills. And that awkwardness meant that people, uh, a lot of people were unkind to him. Some people just tried to avoid him. I was probably in the group that tried to avoid Eric. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't consciously try to be cruel to him. But the reality was I, I didn't extend friendship to Eric because, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't in my circle. He was in like a circle all of his own. And I didn't want to be associated with that because that, that would pull me... Pull me further down that scale, right? So, I mean, when you're, you know, you're in high school, you've got to be cautious about those things. Because this is the story of so much of, of life in, in that realm. Now, at that time, I was, I was a Christian, see? I could have explained the gospel to people. But what I didn't get was, I didn't get the connection between the story of Jesus and what that meant for the way that I was living, particularly in my relationship to Eric, the outsider. My assumption was, you know, Eric's Eric's different, if, if you're going to be different like that, well then... You kind of deserve to be on the outside. You're a loser. You, you get what losers get. Eric was such a a lost guy. His parents, trying to encourage him, bought him a sports car to celebrate his graduation. And the day before graduation, he ran it into a tree. Never graduated i I don't know if it was an accident or or what? So you see this this is just another modern-day form of what we talked about back when we talked about john the baptist right And the and the jewish leaders who came out to the baptism who were so concerned about that shame honor continuum because that shame honor continuum is also the success failure continuum it's the same thing it just it gets worked in different ways in different cultures in in John the Baptist's day, in Jesus' day, that winner-loser thing was highly religious. So the people who were at the top were the Jewish leaders. And they weren't just politicians, they were religious leaders, right? Especially the Pharisees. <clears throat> and then there were the ordinary people, they were, they were kind of in the middle, they're never going to make the winner's circle, but but... They don't see themselves, at least, as the real losers in this game. The real losers are the sinners, the shepherds, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, people who grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, the wrong part of town. So it's that same thing. We still do it, see? And our lives are deeply shaped by those sorts of perceptions. The Apostle Paul. See, he tells us right in Philippians that that he played that game successfully. He he was in the winner's circle. That's what he says in Philippians. Philippians 3, a text we looked at some weeks back, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He's saying, I checked all the boxes. I've been in the winner's circle. But he says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And And Christ means the Christ story. And and here's the point for us this morning. The J curve, which sounds like kind of a you know a, a clever theological idea, which it is, but we need to see that the J curve is a symbol for a story, a life story. It is specifically the story of Jesus and, and J-Curve captures the, the heart of that story which is death and resurrection. A move downward into death and then upward as God raises him from the dead and, and Paul is talking about that in the verses we read this morning that may be best known of all the, the hymns that Praise the, the gospel that praise Jesus for who he is, who being in the form of God did not think equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and becoming obedient even to death on the cross. Therefore, God has raised him up, highly exalted him, and given the name above every name. See, that's the that's the J-Curve movement. But that's a story, friends. It's a story that Jesus inhabited. It's a story that began to be told before he was ever born, told through the prophets, who announced that God would come personally to bring salvation to his people. And righteousness to the nations. Jesus came with that story. And here is the thing that I didn't get for so long. And I'm I'm still trying to get it in my head, and my heart. That the J curve. The pattern of life that Jesus lived is not a winner-loser story. I mean, how do, you, how do you fit the J-curve into the winner-loser story? Do you say, well, he started out as a winner, then he ended up as a loser? Oh, but then he ended up as a winner. No, it, it just doesn't fit that story, Right? One reason it doesn't fit that story is that it is it is not a self-interest story. See that the winner-loser story is a self-interest story. The winners are interested in themselves. They push their own agenda. And that's why they can abuse others and exclude others. And mind you, I'm not saying that some people we would regard as winners are all terribly evil people and they always do the worst that can be done. Right? We're not saying that. And we're not saying that, that trying to do well and to be excellent in whatever field God has called you in is a bad thing. But the winner's category is largely a category of self-interest. It's as, as self-promotion. Ah, but when you think about it, the loser category is usually also about self-interest. It's about protecting myself and taking care of myself and resenting those that are more successful than I am, and and that all tends to be self-focused as well. Winners or losers, or anything in between, we are self-interested people, self-focused people. The Jesus story is not that. It's a story that says that the one who was eternally in the very nature of God chose to become something other than he was. He chose to become a human being. He chose humility over self-exaltation. This is not a self-interest story. In fact, let's go beyond that. It's actually a denying self story. It's not just an absence of self-interest. It's a denying of self. He who was in the form of God took upon himself, Paul says, the form of a servant being made in the likeness of human beings. And then we have that beautifully, powerfully symbolic event right before the cross in which he washes the feet of his disciples. Whatever that is, friends. It's not self-interest. It's not self-promotion. And notice, this is the story that Jesus chose. This didn't just happen to him. He didn't just appear magically in the shepherd's manger in Bethlehem and say, oh, well, look what happened to me. I guess I'll make the best of it. See, this is an active choice to surrender privilege And glory and power to give all of that up, as the NIV translates it, to make himself nothing. He chose that. That's a different story. And here's the thing. That's the story that in the Messiah and the school of the Messiah, that's the story that you and I are called to embrace and to adopt. It's the life that Jesus calls us to choose. Matthew 16, 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. That's that's our story, friends. Even if we still choose to live the old story, this is the one we're called to. And it's so hard to get. That's why people who do get it stand out Johnny now Johnny she knows very well about that first J curve the J curve of suffering that finds you when at 17 she dives into the pond and breaks her neck she can go looking for that. That met her. And she knows about the repentance J curve, too, when she struggled with bitterness and envy and all that stuff in the aftermath of her accident. For a couple of years, she struggled with that. But she also got a vision for the story of Jesus. And she embraced that story with the result that a person who could have spent the rest of her life totally self-consumed with her own pain and suffering chose to move out of that story, what we might call the victim story, right? The, The poor me story. I guess if anybody had a right to that story, you know, you could argue that she did. But she chooses to move out of that with the result that thousands of lives have been impacted for good. Why? Because she chose the J-curve. And given her experience, felt called especially to other people who suffer the exclusion that often belongs to handicapped people, people with disabilities. In the the Catholic section of the church, of course, you have someone similar in Mother Teresa who didn't experience the same physical handicaps, but certainly understood that the Jesus life was a call on her life and gave her life to the poor and to the suffering. A life not lived for others is not a life, she says. But see, the winner-loser story that so deeply impacts our lives doesn't get that or doesn't want to acknowledge it because the winner-loser story says self-concern is paramount. Take care of yourself. If you take care of yourself well, here's a modified form. It almost sounds Christian. In fact, many Christians believe this. Take care of yourself first, and if you do that well, there will be an overflow principle that you can care for other people. That's a a, a quasi-gospel. So here it is. We're back to our in Christ image. We're reminding ourselves that the foundation for our life in Christ is faith. We believe in him. We believe that the story about him is true. That he died not for his own sins but for our sins. And we embrace the righteousness that is the gift that God gives to faith on the basis of what Jesus has accomplished. That's the foundation, but built upon that is the righteousness of love in which we seek to become like Jesus. We say the J-curve, the story of the Christ is the story that we want to live into. We reject other stories as being, at best, partial truths and, at worst, outright lies about who, who human beings are designed to be. That the true design for humanity has always been the Christ life. And so we embrace that as something that is not optional. Paul Miller, in his book, The J-Curve, raises the question, uh, and and he's friends with Johnny, so she raised it first with him, but he had observed the same thing himself. Uh, Johnny and Paul both raised the question, why is it that the church that claims to follow Jesus has been so slow and hesitant to reach out and minister to those with disabilities? Why is that? And Paul responds, the problem is a theological problem. It's that we've seen that upper tier of the life in Christ as optional. And Paul says, it's not optional. That's the life we're called to. And in that life, there is concern for the other. And in in that particular case, also then concern for those with disabilities. So, question, friends. (laughs) What story am I living? Not just what story do I say I believe, but what am I moving my life into? This pattern of life that Jesus has given to us. Well, I will leave you to think about that for a couple weeks because I'm going on vacation next week and uh, Wes is going to speak, right? And the week after that, uh, one of our missionaries is going to be here to speak. So I'll see you in a couple weeks. I'll see you actually in about a week, but uh, uh, other people will be up here, and I'll take a little break. Let's pray together. Lord, this story... Of the love of Jesus, which took him from heaven to earth, from glory to a cross, this is a story that's so good, but so frightening when we think about it as a pattern for our lives. We are blessed To be in Christ. Help us God to understand. That we are also blessed. To be called. To be his image bearers. In this world. Help us then. Not to live. By self concern. And self interest. Not to run from suffering. But. To embrace it as it comes to us in the will of God. That we, like your son, might live lives that bring glory to you. And bring blessing to others. We pray in his name. Amen. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ... And the love of God, his Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with us and direct us and watch over us, we pray. Amen.